So believe it or not, I'm not a very musical person. Um, I've, I've always loved music, grew up with music playing all the time around me. Um, used to listen to Casey Kasem, Stop 40, anybody do that back in the day? Just totally dated us. Um, yeah, every weekend, usually I was grounded, so it's me and Casey Kasem alone in my bedroom. But um, and, and a lot of the big moments in my life are kind of marked by whatever music I was listening to at the time. Um, anybody have that where you hear a song and it like totally takes you back and all the emotions and all the feels and all the things? Um, yeah. But when it comes to playing music or singing music, um, like up here on stage, I'm actually not what I would consider musical, um, which is a great frustration to me. I wish I, I were. Um, I play music very mentally. Uh, academically. Uh, in fact, most of the advances in playing music happened when, when I figured out some new mental thing and learned some new, uh, bit of information. Uh, my mom actually bought me a guitar when I was 16 and offered to give me music lessons. And back then it was like, music lessons are for sissies. And so I did the smart thing and sold my guitar and bought a Nintendo. Um, cause I'm a genius. Um, a few years later, a friend of mine uh, pulled out a guitar at a Bible study, and we had some amazing worship in the middle of someone's living room, and suddenly I was sold on the idea of playing guitar. I knew I was pretty good at figuring things out, and so uh, I went and bought a cheap guitar and a chord book and went home to, to figure this thing out, how this thing works. And, and I obsessed over it. Uh, my wife went to calling my guitar the other woman, um, and I was, uh, but I was slowly figuring out how to play worship music. In fact, we went on a, uh, I got in a lot of trouble for this. We went on a marriage uh, conference like weekend. It was like a whole weekend conference. And I took my guitar and any time I had a free minute, I was playing guitar instead of spending time with my wife. So I got in a lot of trouble for that one. Um, but, uh, but, but pretty soon I was, I was able to play, uh, provide some music for a couple Bible studies and, and other ministry events and things. And, and in the middle of my obsession, with guitar, I go on this uh, pretty long hunting trip with my dad, and who is not going to let me bring my guitar on a hunting trip. And uh, and so uh, I had nothing else to do on this six-hour drive, uh, and so I had a piece of paper, and I drew out a guitar fretboard. And and I knew a couple of the notes on the fretboard, and so I started um, filling them in, and, and I would, like, hold the thing and, and, like, put my fingers where I thought they were and where they went on the thing, and I started you know, noticing these patterns that would repeat themselves. And I was like, oh, wow, the, the notes go whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. And I, I found this repeating pattern. And then on the next string, they, they do the same thing. And on the next string, they do the same thing. Like, and I was like, oh, that's cool. So, like, apparently a, uh, an octave is whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. And so I wrote that down. And, and so I made a G. And I was like, so a G is a G, a B, and a D. So I wrote that down. So that's like a one and a three and a five on the little pattern. And, and I was like, what would a D is? And I was like, well, that's also a one, three, and five. And this is a, and so I, an A minor. It's the only minor I knew. I knew E minor too. And I was like, well, that's a one and a flatted third and a five. So I'm, like, my brain is like exploding. I'm like going nuts, like teaching myself music theory. And so I, uh, so I get home and, and I'm like freaking out over this concept. And I was like, I wonder if this is, just guitar, or if it's everything. And I had this cheap little plug-in Casio piano, and so I got it out, and I was like, one, three, five. Oh, my gosh, I'm playing a G chord on the piano. Listen to this. I'm calling Esther, and this is what I'm doing. I'm playing piano. Like, I'm freaking out over this this thing. And that's about what I also kind of figured out, that that harmony is really just singing the, the other two notes in a chord. And so now I'm starting to play around with singing harmonies and, and goof around because I'm, I'm figuring out how it 
how it actually works. And so a buddy of mine was, had a band going and he needed a bass player. And I'd never touched bass or looked at bass. I had no idea what bass was about. And I was like, what are the strings? And he was like, EA, uh, DG. And I was like, so that should be just like guitar and piano. So I jumped on his band having never played bass. I didn't even have one to practice with. We met at the first gig and I played bass in the thing based purely on the stuff I had in my head from piano. And uh, so suddenly I was a bass player, apparently. And, uh, and then one day while hanging out with a friend who was a drummer, I sat down to his drums and was like, uh, and I was like, this is so frustrating because I love, like, drums are what I hear first in a song. It's like what I most resonate with. I was like, and I have no idea how this works. Like, I look like the monkey thing, you know. And, uh, and he was across the room not even paying attention. He goes, he's like, hit a, hit a one, two, three, four on the hi-hat and then just do the kick on one and the snare on three. And I was like, well, that can't be it. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm playing drums. Look at me, I'm playing drums. Like, and I totally freaked out. I had no idea how drums work. And, like, and the bummer is, like, I don't think my drum playing is really advanced beyond that much. Uh, but I was freaking out because it was like, now I'm, now I'm a drummer. I can play drums all of a sudden. Uh, and every once in a while, um, I get this feeling like I'm a musician, and and uh, until I play with somebody who is like musical, and like has music in their being and in their soul, part of their makeup, just a musical person. And that's when I remember that I'm actually just a guy who really likes to figure out how to do things, um, uh, because I play music from my head. I worship from my heart. Don't mix those two up. Um, don't confuse the, the worship with the instrument, but the, the instrument actually comes from my head. Um, I actually had a friend who uh, used to come to me for new music because I was always listening to the newest like music to come out so that I could learn how to play it and whatnot. And he'd come over and be like, man, I've been playing the same five or six songs over and You got anything new? I was like, eh, there's just one, and I'd play it. He was like, ooh, I like that. Let me try that. And then he would be like, and I was like, man... You've known that for three seconds, and you sound like 20 times cooler than I could ever make it. Like, it makes me so frustrated. Um, and what's worse is I've, I've taught, you know, most of my kids to play an instrument, one instrument or another. Um, and once I get them started, it usually takes them like 10 minutes to get better than me, which is super frustrating. Um, it's actually not frustrating at all. I love that they're better than me. But the funny thing is, if, if I had my way, like, I wouldn't be up here on stage. I have way more fun down on the ground, um, acting crazy, um, worshiping with all my heart, while the band like rocks good worship music. But here's why I tell the story um, this morning. Over the past 25 or so years, um, I've led worship in many, many situations. I've been able to provide worship at times when there wouldn't have otherwise been any worship at all. I've played piano and guitar for weddings so that my wife could blow everybody away with her voice. Um, I've also been able to fill spaces um, in bands where there was uh, uh, no one else available to fill them. Um, I've been able to sing and play acoustic and electric or bass or keyboard or drums or harmonica or pretty much whatever else needed to be played. I'm sure you've noticed I've pretty much done the same here at OTCC. Um, and I've only been able to do those things um, not because it's part of my nature, not because I'm musical by nature, um, well, the reason that all this is possible is because I filled my mind with the right things. Everything needed to play an instrument that I've wanted to play, I've put the information in my mind first. And honestly, I think this is really important um, and something that we're overlooking, I think, too often when it comes to our spiritual life, is the importance of what we put in our minds. 
Uh, I think this is uh, lacking in the kingdom today. Um, this is week two of this year's identity series, and we're titling this H3, which is just a fancy way of saying that we're going to look at what it means to be open table community church in terms of our heads, our hearts, and our hands, the three H's. And this morning we're looking at our heads, what we put in our heads. Last week we um, kicked off the series by looking at the power of story. Um, we looked at how important story is to the people of God. And the very first time the Bible talks about the Bible is when God does something amazing for his people and then just casually tells Moses to write this down. You need to write this down so that future generations can experience this same thing um, and use it to build their faith. So a huge part of the purpose of the Bible is to record in narrative form what God has done in the lives, uh, both of the personal lives and the corporate lives of his people. We have this tendency to boil everything down to theology and, and, uh, and doctrinal truths that can be extrapolated from a story. Um, but what God told Moses to do was just tell the story. People need to know what I have done. Tell the story. So if you have, if you have young children, tell them Bible stories. Read them Bible stories. You don't even have to attach a moral to it, like it's a parable or some Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale. It's totally okay to just tell your kids what God has done. Tell him the stories of what God has done. The story itself is powerful. Well, last week we also talked about this passage in the book of Revelation that indicates the, the, the faithful in Christ overcome the enemy two ways, by the blood of the Lamb. And we just spent 20 weeks in the book of Romans unpacking how important the blood of Jesus is to our salvation. But John adds a second weapon that I honestly wish um, he would have taken a minute to explain. Like, and here's how that works. And here's how you use that. And here's how... But, but he says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our story. By telling our story. By telling what God has done for us. So not only is the story, God's story important, but our story. Our story. Your story is important. So last week we told our story, OTCC's story. Not all of it, of course. In fact, probably just a tiny portion of it. But the high points of how God planted the idea of this church in my heart 31 years ago. And how God brought the right people together and, and just did miracle after miracle um, to kind of put our ragamuffin bunch of Jesus followers together and, and in this building and doing church together. Um, and it's a great story because though we had, a, we had an awful lot of of the necessary pieces in place to plant um, a great church. And, and obviously God was the one who put those pieces together, so that's him too. But, but even so, there were crazy hurdles in the way. Um, hurdles that we simply had no means to overcome. Um, short of God just kind of carrying us, and that's exactly what he did. So really, it's a God story. It's a story of what God has done. And that's why we tell it. And within that story um, are these three focuses... That, uh, that have been kind of part of us for, for seven years now, even though we've never really unpacked them the way we are this year. Um, but I really like the language that the three H's offer us um, as we kind of look ahead at, at how we see ourselves doing life together as OTCC. So if you've been here a while, you probably figured out we're, we're a pretty heady church. We study pretty deeply. Um, I try to uh, share kind of biblical structure, writing style, background information, theological insights and perspectives, even scientific and anthropological realities as they bear on our study of Scripture. And I'll be honest, even in seminary, they would teach us a lot of this stuff 
And then they would kind of say, but this isn't the kind of thing you teach a congregation. Like, this isn't something you would want to, like, teach from the pulpit. And this always confused me. I actually emailed and started a whole long back-and-forth debate-type thread thing because I was taking these classes, what we used to call correspondence courses. Now it would just be an online class. Um, but uh, emailed, I emailed in, um, like, why, why should a pastor not share everything that they know about a particular passage? Why would they not share everything? And, and uh, a whole barrage of answers that mostly sounded kind of condescending and controlling. But the consensus was something along the lines of, you don't teach a four- or five-year-old everything you know about sex education. Like, they couldn't handle it. Um, uh, well, unless you're in school today. Um, uh, but, but there's certain information you can't handle at a certain age. And I know that, that argument has some merit. It always felt to me like the stuff the professors were suggesting is not for the whole congregation was anything that had any tension in it or, uh, or might not fit whatever package or clean systematic narrative they were trying to present. Um, and I hope you figured out that I decided not to follow their advice on some of that stuff. I love throwing out what we know about things and, and, and allowing us to, to wrestle with some of the tension. Uh, I've never agreed with holding back information um, from the congregation. So from, from day one of OTCC, I've studied and learned right along with everyone else. I love studying scripture and, and reading commentary, especially love sharing what I study, as terrifying as that might be. And, and I've never hidden... Um, my own hypocrisy in the process of Bible teaching. Um, I've tried really hard to, to teach the Bible uh, and what the Bible says, whether or not I'm good at it. And I let you know all the time I'm not good at all this stuff. In fact, I've said many times, if I only preach the stuff that I've mastered, the stuff where I'm like a prime example of obedience, we would run out of material very fast. I might make it a, a couple weeks, and then I'd be out of stuff to talk about. Um, I have to teach what the Bible says, whether or not I'm good at that yet. Um, uh, and so we try to we try to teach the full breadth of scripture that way. Uh, but from day one at Open Table, we try to value Bible teaching. We tackle large portions of scripture. Uh, I try I try really hard not to bounce around and grab verses from from here and there to make whatever point I want to make. Um, incidentally, that's called proof texting. If you want to know the fancy word for that, it's called proof texting. And a couple years ago in our in our identity series, just for fun, um, I pulled four verses um, from different places in the Bible. Um, and strung them together in the right way and, and made a really good biblical case for why God is for child sacrifice. Um, and, and, uh, and which is absurd, of course, if you read any scripture at all, but you can pull four verses and put them together just right. Man, it makes a convincing case. If you, if you leave everything else out and only pull those four verses in, you can make a great, you can make the Bible say something it absolutely does not say. Says the opposite, in fact. But, uh, but if you proof text just right, you can make the Bible say almost anything. Which just kind of shows how dangerous proof texting is. And that doesn't mean that everyone who proof texts is, you know, is wrong. Um, you know, as wrong as like saying child sacrifice is good. And, and it doesn't mean that, that, uh, that everyone who ever proves text is twisting scripture. It just means you've got to be careful. You need to be careful um, uh, when, you, when you grab a verse from here and a verse from there to make the Bible agree with what you already wanted to say. Um, and because of this risk, I always try really hard to stay kind of packed, uh, parked, I mean, in, in whatever passage we're studying. I mean, I occasionally grab a supporting verse from another passage. Um, but as much as possible, I try to stay in the passage 
um, that we're doing so that we don't run the risk of, of just kind of trying to make the scripture say um, what I what I want to want it to say rather than what the passage is is offering us. So if you're one of those who listens to my sermons and and you think about a verse and you wonder, oh man, why doesn't he bring that? That one verse into the passage, you know, oh, this verse would fit so good right there. Um, uh, if, if you're one of those person, people, chances are I did that intentionally. Like, I can feel that temptation to jump out of our passage and, and quote little verses all over the... But I try, I try not to do that. I try to stay in our root passage so that we can truly study the text together. Uh, and of course, having said all that, in our identity series, we, we tend to proof text. We tend to jump around a little bit. So every time I do that in our identity series, I go, but ignore that for today because we're going to bounce around just a little bit. Um, but, uh, but I just, I, for the most part, we try to be cautious with proof texting. All that to say, we spent seven years studying the Bible together. Um, along with our fun annual series and saint series and Advent and Lent um, and our identity series, We've been through some big chunks of scripture together. We've done the book of Acts twice. Um, we've spent an entire summer studying the five sermons that Matthew preaches, or that Jesus preaches in the book of Matthew. We studied the Psalms of David, um, and how you can trace his spiritual growth and development through the art that he made, um, while he was alive. Um, we, uh, we spent last year, we spent 24 weeks unpacking what it means to live in God's kingdom. Um, pretty big passages all over the scripture. And then, uh, and then, you know, we just spent 20 weeks in Romans. Um, we study the Bible together. Now, I'm not saying we do it right or that way, the way we do it is better or worse. I'm not comparing to any other churches. Um, this is just who we are. Uh, and, and the big question isn't so much that we study the Bible. The big question is why. Why is Bible study such a big deal? Why don't we just do the three verse with a message about being a good wife or a good husband or, or a short proverb or parable and a message about being a good parent or a successful employee? Um, why don't we just come together, hear a good self-help message, um, sanctified with a couple Bible verses or, or some political message ornamented with a passage from Paul? Um, and the answer is actually a really big deal. Simply put, what you put in your head, you become. What you put in your head, you become. This is an age-old reality that is as true today as it's ever been, and it's probably more important today than it has ever been. Computer programmers have this saying, at least they used to, I don't know if they still do. Um, I don't understand AI at all, so I don't know if computers can think for themselves yet. Probably, I don't know what's happening. Um, But they used to have this thing they called GIGO. Garbage in, garbage out. Basically means... The computer just does what it's told to do. Whatever you put in is what you get out. If you program garbage, you get garbage out. Um, you can't program something in and be surprised by what comes out. You just get out what you put in. If you program poorly, it runs poorly. You put garbage in, you get garbage out. Giggo. Uh, and this is, the, this is true physically. I've gained quite a lot of weight in the last year, and it's no mystery. It's giggo. You put garbage in, you get garbage out. When you eat healthy, real foods, whole foods, healthy foods, you tend to have more energy, better movement, better living. And if garbage goes in, garbage comes out. So, let's imagine that Proverbs 23 is actually true with Gigo. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the Hebrew word for heart here is translated mind or will um, in a lot of other places. Much bigger than the English word for heart. 
I think. This is, the, this is the part of the man that thinks. As a man thinketh in his heart. We don't think of thinking in our heart, but in the Hebrew you did. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What if that's true? What if you become what you think? What if gigo applies to what you put in your head? In fact, Paul indicates that this may actually be true when, when it comes to the gospel's effect on believers. In Romans 12 he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation starts right here in our minds. So if we are what we think and we're transformed according to what is in our minds, then we should be terrified by the idea of gigo. Because the reason that I keep saying um, that this H, what's in our heads, is maybe more important now than it has ever been is because there is a ton of garbage out there vying for space in our minds. I mean, the, the, the messages the enemy pushes at us really don't change much over time. We actually talked about this in youth group last week, that Satan tends to be in a rut when it comes to temptation, mostly because it keeps on working. Um, why change what's not broken? Um, but Satan is not that creative. It's the same message that's always been out. But the sheer amount of garbage, it's not that the message is any worse than anything else, but the sheer amount of it now is staggering. The, the information revolution has increased the amount of garbage that can go in. There's no doubt about it. So I'm going to make a recommendation this morning that I've spent the last year wrestling with or so. I think it's been about a year. I can't even remember when. This is not original to me. I got this from a book called The Wisdom Pyramid, which I highly recommend. It's a great book. Um, but does anybody remember The Food Pyramid back in the day? Anybody remember that when we were kids? They used to teach it in school. It looked something like this. You know, you had your grains and you could eat as much of that as you wanted. Um, just carb load all day, I guess. Um, vegetables, fruits, meats, and then your junk food, fats and oils go on top, stuff like that. And this is obviously... Uh, there's a lot of debate today about what a healthy food pyramid should look like and, 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 uh, or if this is even the right way to think about food, especially in, in light of some of the latest adaptations, this crazy thing. I don't know if you've seen the most recent food pyramid. Um, this is literally, uh, I think it was last year, 2022. This is the federally approved FDA and Department of Education food pyramid. I'm not making this up. This is what it looks like now. They did it this way. Stuff you can eat, whatever you want of, down to the stuff you want to stay away from. I doubt you can read this, but the third from the top right here is frosted mini-wheats. You can eat as many frosted mini-wheats as you want, um, followed shortly by chocolate-covered almonds and orange juice. Those are in the green, as many as you want. Um, sweet potato fries are... are Barely in the, the yellow, because as long as it's a healthy fruit, you can fry it in oil and eat as much as you want of it. So sweet potato fries are okay. But here's my favorite. Right here, that says egg substitute. That's up here. I don't even know what that's made of. I don't know what an egg substitute is. But egg substitute's there, while an actual hard-boiled egg is way down here. So, so egg substitute is better for you than a hard-boiled egg. 
And then way down here is a fried or scrambled egg. That's in the red. So stay away from eggs, but help yourself to egg substitute. Whatever that is, I don't even want to know. It's people. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the craziest part to me, this is the part that, that, that drives me nuts. Right here in the middle of the to be moderated section um, is Lucky Charms with his, delicious, with his delicious little marshmallows. Right there is Lucky Charms. While all the way down at the bottom of the to be minimized, the very bottom is ground beef. So, and all of its accompanying protein. Now, I'm not a dietitian, and I certainly don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to preaching about food. I eat half a jar of peanut butter with celery while writing this message. So I'm, I'm not the guy to take like food advice from. Um, but this is crazy to me. And this is coming from what is supposed to be the agency that decides for us what is good and healthy and what isn't. And if you know the tiniest bit of, of anything... You know that Lucky Charms is not better for you than ground beef. That's, that's absurd. But this is, this is not even that important, and this is the kind of information that's out there. This is what's being pushed as truth. And if it's this bad with our diet, what other bad messages are out there? So let's say there's a good food pyramid. Let's just say, good, great, good, okay, limit, avoid. Let's just say. And you know how the pyramid works. The stuff that, that you can and should eat goes on bottom. Help yourself. Dig in. Have all you want. And the further up the pyramid uh, you go, the more you want to limit what you eat. The tip top is the stuff that's occasionally, you know, special occasions, junk food stuff. It's not going to kill you, but you don't want much of it. Now, uh, and this is where we need to get honest and analyze our life. Let's say that, pair, that pyramid was not about food, but the stuff you put in your head. What if, this, what if this pyramid was about the messages you allow in your mind? Be honest with yourself. Just speaking in terms of sheer volume, what's at the base of your pyramid? Don't raise your hand. I don't want a real answer. That's for you. What gets the most airtime in your space? Social media? The 24-hour never-ending news cycle? TVs, movies, podcasts, fantasy football? I had to. I had to. (laughs) Politics? Where does the Bible fall on your pyramid? Where does good conversation with godly people fall on your pyramid? Where does good music and beauty and nature fall on your pyramid? Where, Where does time alone with God just listening fall on your pyramid. Imagine your head had a pyramid. Imagine you, you, your, the information you allow in fell into the pyramid. Would, would you, if that were food, would you be physically healthy? This has been really convicting for me as I've wrestled with it. Not necessarily because my pyramid is, is that out of whack. I mean, my head definitely isn't where it should be. Um, but my bigger issue is that I enjoy like secular music and, and secular fiction and, and TV shows and stuff that I uh, definitely want up toward the top of my pyramid in the limit section. But I tend to talk to people about these things often and, and, 
And since reading this book, I've worried about how I've communicated some of that stuff. Stuff, what I would say, toward the middle and top of my pyramid, I communicate to people like I love these things, and, and I don't know if it's at the base of their pyramid. And sometimes I worry that maybe I'm communicating like these things are okay too low in the pyramid, that by saying, oh, I love this book, and I love this movie, that's oh, a great TV show, um, that, I, that I forget to also communicate that I've read the Bible cover to cover, I think 125 times at my last count. I listen to several Christian books a month at least, and I read commentary and theology books, and I, I talk and text with people about spiritual things all the time. So, so for me, um, not that I don't get out of balance all the time, because I do. I'm not trying to say that my pyramid is like the right one, but, um, but I enjoy you know, secular things of, of many forms, but I still keep them pretty high in my pyramid. Comparatively speaking, honestly, right now my biggest issue is social media and, and short videos. Man, those things are ridiculous. You sit down, watch a couple, and then you look down, like 45 minutes just went away. And you're like, I don't even know what just happened. Time warp. Those should definitely be in the tip top of my pyramid, but they're lower than they should be right now. Well, the point is this. I'm never going to be the one to throw a bunch of do's and don'ts at you. I'm not the guy who tells you how to live. or But I will say this. What you put in your head transforms you. What you put in changes you. Paul says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're transformed by what we put in. As a man thinks, so is he. You don't always have control over the transformation part. In fact, I don't think you ever have control over the transformation part. The part you have, like, that's like trying to, like, change the calories after you swallow them. Like, I'm going to will those calories not to stick. I'm trying to, it does not work. The control you have is what you put in. Can you guys see my phone ringing? It's like ringing on my watch. We're not going to do that, though. I don't even know who that is. Sorry, old fam, I just turned you off. Or at least me seeing your comments. The information you put into your head is the control that you have and what you transform into. And I don't like saying that this is bad or that's bad or that there's terrible information, blah, blah, blah. But what I will say is we need to be careful about what we're building on. If you eat junk food all day, if the base of your pyramid is junk food, one piece of broccoli will not make you healthy. Tried that too. Doesn't work. Eat broccoli, run and look at the mirror. Dang it. Didn't work. But if you eat healthy food, most of the day you can afford some junk food. You see the difference? Then you can afford to eat a little something. It's no different with our heads. If you pack your heads with garbage all week, a little 25-minute sermon. What? Yeah. Once a week will not make you healthy. If you pack your heads with garbage all day, coming in for a church once a week will not make you healthy. But if you build a good base and you put in good things and the bulk of what you put in is good things, you can... You can tolerate some social media. You can do a sitcom. As long as you have a good, solid base of healthy information at the bottom of your pyramid. So that's my advice to you. 
Spend some time thinking through your pyramid. Your wisdom pyramid. Don't divide everything into do's and don'ts. Is bad for me? Is good for me? Yes is no is binary. Think in terms of health and what you want to be transformed into. What you want to become. Eat the information that's going to get you there. As for me, and as for OTCC, um, the pyramid will definitely dictate a lot of what we do together. We've done some relationship classes and we'll likely do more. We've, uh, we were in the middle of financial peace when the pandemic hit. We'll likely um, do that again, do financial classes again. We'll teach parenting classes. We'll, um, we're not against self-help stuff. That stuff's fine. It's really good. I need self-help. <laughs> I need help. Sometimes we'll just get together and party together with no purpose other than just to hang out together and have fun. Just goofy hangout time. That's perfectly okay. We want that stuff at the top of our pyramid. The base of our time together, the base of our pyramid will be Bible study. It has been and will continue to be. We'll continue to dive into the scripture together and, and do what we can to put good information in our head, to fuel healthy transformation, which is what we'll dive into next week. Let's look for something real quick. Because if I forgot to put it in my message, I'm going to put it in anyway. No, it's in there. We'll get to it. I thought it was already there, but I... So how do we respond to this? Smooth. Um, Jesus challenged his followers one day. I think this was one of his larger group of followers, not just the 12, but one of the bigger groups. Um... But he throws out this statement to them that, that I think, uh, I think just to see how they'd react. It says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this statement clearly upset some people, um, as I'm sure Jesus knew it would. They said, but we're the descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we'll be set free? And this is where Jesus kind of goes deep. Uh, in fact, I don't think anyone was prepared for where he was going with this whole thing. Um, but Jesus follows up their rebuttal with this. He says, but Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. But a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. It kind of escalated quickly. Jesus makes this simple statement. All of a sudden it dives into this really deep um, concept. But Jesus winds up talking about being a slave to sin and being set free by the Son. And it's this beautiful picture of salvation and, and, the, and the requisite freedom that follows. And it has become a very popular verse. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. A couple of great songs about it. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And it's easy to forget how this conversation started. Jesus said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It starts with what you know. It starts in the head. Jesus says we need to remain faithful to his teachings. If we learn his teachings, 
will know the truth, and that truth leads to freedom. He who the Son sets free. So this beautiful picture of salvation, the Son setting us free from the slavery of sin, starts with knowing. Starts in our heads. We study Jesus' teachings until we know them, and when we know that truth, that truth sets us free. What we put in our heads, we become. As a man thinks, so he is. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We studied Michael Faraday last year in our Saint series and how his contemporaries were Marx and Nietzsche and Darwin and Freud and, and how these guys in every discipline across the board, these huge minds were denying the existence of God and imagining what each of their fields of study would look like if you pulled God completely out of the picture. In the midst of all that pressure, the, the kind of message of the day, Faraday is, is doing science, especially physics. And everything he looks at deepens his faith in God. Everything he uncovers, he sees God in it and God everywhere. The deeper he dug, the more he found God. While everybody else in any of the sciences was going the opposite way, Faraday is finding God everywhere. And the reason is simple. The base of Faraday's pyramid was God. Through his entire career, he taught Sunday school at his church, never missed church. If, if he had to travel to do something, he found a good church and went to it. Studied his Bible incessantly, quoted scripture in every speech he gave. I, I honestly believe the greatest battle for most Christians today, at least in America, is the battle for our minds. There are a million messages trying to fight for the base of your pyramid. I read a book called Entertaining Ourselves to Death. Incidentally, this is the part that I thought was earlier. It was written in the 80s. And I can't even imagine if the guy that wrote it was alive today. He would freak out. Because he was lamenting over the damage TV was doing. He wrote a book called Entertaining Ourselves. He's like, nobody reads anymore. They just watch TV and how that was rotting everybody's brains. And we were losing the... The, the subtlety that came from reading. But one of the things he says in the book is that uh, for the majority of human history, the only news you ever received was the, the, the news that you could directly affect and help. For, the, for the, just the last maybe 150, 200 years. So for the majority of human history, you only got the news you could affect. So you'd hear about your neighbor's barn catching fire. And you would either head straight over to jump in the fire line and throw water buckets or, or, or you would start gathering up things you could donate to them so that they could rebuild. But you, you'd hear the news and you would act. There's something you could do. The other book said with the invention of the telegram, suddenly you would get news that you could do nothing about. Such and such shot. Stop. And you get all the anxiety of that news, all the, all the stress and, 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 and effect of that news with impotence. There's nothing I can do about it. That's a thousand miles away. So, you, so you, get, you get, imagine what this guy would say about the 24-hour news cycle. Just the amount of information that pounds our heads that we can do nothing about. Meanwhile, while we're watching what's happening out there, we know nothing about what's going on with our neighbor. And if they need someone to talk to them, or they need 
a hand or, or a meal. We are literally bombed with bad news 24-7. And we just have to swallow all that anxiety and all that frustration and all that fear. And 99% of the time, there's nothing we can do about it. This is not good for us. Do not put that at the bottom of your pyramid. It will make for really unhealthy brain space. But it will fight to be there as well as a million other unworthy things. The junk food. The stuff that should be at the tip. So the way that I'd love to respond to this message is pretty obvious. Spend some time looking at, at your pyramid. Heck, journal about it. Keep a schedule if, if you have to. Be honest about the way you ingest information. And then imagine the person you want to transform into. Are you giving yourself the right info? Is your pyramid leading to who you want to be? If you ever wonder why our messages here at OCCC are, aren't very self-helpy or topical or light and fun, please know that it's all about this pyramid. We're not against those things. I love junk food. I love fun stuff. I love... Man, I'm a meme junkie. Love it. We're not against those things. We just want the bulk of our time together to be Bible study. Good information.